I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I talk honestly about the hard parts of life. Join us and guests like Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Brene Brown as we have refreshingly honest conversations. New episodes are out every Tuesday and Thursday. So listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. This is a recording of Juan David Ortiz. He's sitting alone in the Webb County Sheriff's interrogation room, talking to a deputy standing guard outside his door. Ortiz laughs as he recounts outrunning the state troopers who'd chased him. Hey, who's the trooper I smoked, man? The trooper that couldn't keep up with me, dude. Tell him he needs to work out some more, man. Ah, two of them. Two troopers, dude. I was fucking running, dude. Tall and powerfully built with a military crew cut, he's dressed casually in a khaki button-down and jeans. His hands are cuffed behind his back. Soon, Calderon and Salinas enter the cramped room and sit across from him. He was advised of his right to an attorney and his right to stop talking to us at any time, but he freely chose to continue talking to us. Calderon wasn't surprised that Ortiz didn't ask for an attorney. In his experience, men, and cops in particular, often think they can talk their way out of trouble. But Ortiz wasn't just a cop. He was a military veteran and border intelligence supervisor who may have been privy to details of their investigation. One, we're dealing with a cop, another cop. So he knows how we operate, not only tactics-wise, but interrogations, interviews. And two, he worked at that border intelligence center. So how much does he know of what we know? Are we compromised? Are we going to not be able to use things against them? Are we going to be able to use this, that, or the other? What details does he know? When Calderon asked Ortiz about Erica Pena, Ortiz claimed he'd never met her. The only Erica he knew was from Brownsville, Texas, he said, the border town where he grew up. By now, of course, Erica had already identified Ortiz, his truck, and even her own vomit outside his house. Calderon and Salinas knew he was lying. When they showed him photographs of Melissa Ramirez and Claudine Luera, he denied knowing them as well. So the investigators tried a different approach. Calderon asked Ortiz if he hunted. Ortiz replied that, until recently, he'd held a hunting lease north of the city where he hunted hogs with an AR-15. Calderon asked if he'd gone hunting that day. Ortiz said no, adding, it's too damn hot to go hunting. Earlier that night, as Ortiz was being handcuffed, Calderon had noticed what appeared to be blood spatter on Ortiz's cowboy boots. Now, sitting across from him in the interrogation room, Calderon asked if he knew how the blood got there. Do you know how you got Ortiz looked down at his boots. He didn't have a good answer. This is Gone South. I'm Jed Lipinski. Episode 5, The Monster. 
After realizing there were in fact droplets of dried blood on his cowboy boots, Ortiz quickly recovered. He laughed and said he had no idea how the blood got there. Calderon assumed Ortiz would continue denying he had anything to do with the murders or the assault on Erica Pena. So he decided to back off and ask Ortiz about himself instead. We've found that as long as people are talking, that's the first step in getting them to cooperate and getting them to start talking about what they did. To their surprise, Ortiz was more than happy to talk about his background. He explained that he had joined the Navy at 19, two months before 9-11. Two years later, he'd served as a combat medic assigned to a Marine unit during Operation Iraqi Freedom. After eight years of active duty, he was honorably discharged and joined the U.S. Border Patrol outside San Antonio. A promotion in 2016 brought him to Laredo, where he was promoted again to Border Intel Supervisor. According to Ortiz, he excelled at the job and was up for yet another promotion that fall. In those years, Ortiz had two children with his wife, Daniela, and earned multiple degrees, including a bachelor's in criminal justice and a master's in international relations. But despite his professional achievements, Ortiz admitted to battling personal demons. He struggled with anxiety, paranoia, nightmares, and extreme migraines, he said, adding that he'd also been abusing alcohol. He seemed to attribute these issues in part to his stint in Iraq, where he'd witnessed an innocent rice merchant riddled with bullets and men burned beyond recognition by a fuel tank explosion. According to him, he'd seen a lot of death and a lot of things that he took with him later. And one of them I remember him describing was uh, the smell of burning flesh and how certain things down the line, you know, present day trigger that smell. Ortiz said that seven months earlier, a physician at the Laredo VA had diagnosed him with PTSD and prescribed him an array of medications, Paxil for depression and anxiety, Trazodone for nightmares, Gabapentin for migraines, and Devalproex for irritability and anger. I just can't believe how many pills I got put on like that. According to Ortiz, he'd been squared away until the VA prescribed him the medications. After that, he said, his life had, quote, turned to shit. Going to the VA fucked up my life got me here. Um, I was a square away motherfucker until I started going to the VA and my life went to shit. It seemed to Calderon that Ortiz was using the VA story as a defense for something he hadn't yet confessed to. So Calderon interrupted with a direct question. I was point blank asking him, you know, what are you trying to tell us by this? Are you trying to say that, you know, because of this medication, you killed people? Are you trying to tell us that because of your appointments at the VA, people had to die and get shot? You're saying that you felt like you were mm-hmm. losing control or something? Sure. What is it that you're feeling? Help us understand what, what it is that you're feeling so we can try to determine what you're trying to tell us. But Ortiz didn't answer Calderon's questions. All Ortiz would say is that he'd been squared away until his visit to the VA earlier that year. From the day I was born until February of this year, I was a squared away bastard. And from February to now, I've had like 40 fucking appointments. And I'm looking at me. In the video, Ortiz gestures to his right hand, which is shackled to a chair. 
For the next four hours, Ortiz continued to deny that he knew anything about the assault on Erica Pena or the two murders. I have no idea who you're talking about. We're talking about Erica. You're not the only one who picked up the phone. I'd like to know if you know why you're here. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Ortiz's account of the previous night was simple. His and he'd stayed home to wait for the plumber to fix a leak. That evening, he'd taken his meds, then drunk several Bud Lights, a combination that he said sometimes caused him to black out. The next thing he remembered was the troopers shouting at him outside the Stripes convenience store. He'd run from them, he said, because they were freaking him out. Frustrated by his continued denials, Calderon and Salinas decided to take a break. We eventually have to reassess how we're going to tackle the interview. By this point, the station was packed with law enforcement and local officials, including the district attorney and customs and border protection leadership. Many of them were crowded inside the station's viewing room, watching the interrogation unfold on a closed-circuit TV. It was a madhouse in there. It was a lot of people in there. I mean, this was a supervisory border patrol agent. It was all unfolding. It was all new. Earlier that evening, after Ortiz fled from the state troopers, cops had failed to find Ortiz's weapon inside his truck, leading them to believe he was armed. But during the break in the interrogation, one of the cops at the station told Calderon that Ortiz's weapon, a 40 caliber handgun, had been sitting in Ortiz's truck bed all along, which probably explained why Ortiz had pretended his phone was a gun before he was captured. The cop told Calderon that he'd examined the gun and made two discoveries. One, the gun's magazine was missing several rounds. And two, the bullets inside appeared to match the shell casings found at the scenes of both Melissa and Claudine's murders. At this stage of the interview, Calderon and Salinas had yet to present Ortiz with any of the evidence they'd collected thus far. But when they walked back into the interrogation room, they decided they'd waited long enough. Why are there rounds missing from your gun right now? Give me something crazy. Give me the wildest thing you have. Why are we missing rounds from your mag? When Ortiz failed to respond, Calderon told him they were going to match his gun to the shell casings left at the crime scenes. Ortiz stared at the floor as Calderon repeated, look at me, JD, look at me. His arrogance at the start of the interview was gone. District Attorney Alanis, who was watching from the viewing room next door, saw the transformation. So when these facts start just coming right at you and they're just pounding you in the face with these facts and this evidence, is when he starts to soften up. Because I think by that time he was convinced that the jig was up and everybody in that room knew exactly what he had done. Calderon and Salinas urged Ortiz to tell the truth. They appealed to his background as a veteran, a border agent, and a father. And Ortiz was listening very intently and contemplating every word when they were talking about those three important values you know, your country, your family, the law enforcement community. Ortiz then made a simple request. In his phone was a photo of him and his family on Father's Day. He asked if Calderon could print it out for him. I told him that I would do everything my ability to get him that picture. Ortiz then asked Calderon to remove the handcuffs. I remember telling everybody in the room, guys, get ready, here it comes. And he opens the handcuffs and takes them off. You know, Ortiz just rubs his wrists from having those handcuffs on for, you know, eight, nine hours. 
and the floodgates opened from there. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. It's after bedtime, the kids are asleep, and the moms are out to play. We're Dina and Kristen, the duo behind the Instagram account, Big Little Feelings. I'm Dina, I'm a child therapist and mom of two who nerds out on all things neurobiology and psychology, and Kristen is a parent coach who wrangles three kids on a daily basis, here to give it to us like it is. We weren't meant to do this parenting thing alone. Consider After Bedtime your village. Follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, after nearly eight hours in the interrogation room, Ortiz began to tell investigators about the night Melissa Ramirez was killed. So when he eventually comes around and starts telling us about his specific actions, and and in this case specifically Melissa Ramirez, he tells her how he picked her up and took her to go buy something to get high. And she got high and she passed out in his truck. And he was pretty annoyed at the fact that she was passed out in his truck. Realizing she may have overdosed, Ortiz said he debated dropping her at the emergency room and driving off. Driving around, I drove to the Health Medical Center. There's cameras, there's cameras to see my truck. I was just going to dump her there and be with the arch. And I'm like, ah, oh, man. He figured that if a camera caught him at the hospital and something happened that, you know, they might come after him. So he says he gets on 35 and starts heading into North Webb County. When Melissa finally came to, she was annoyed to discover they were in a desolate area miles outside Laredo. According to Ortiz, she began insulting him. She starts asking him, you know, where are they? And, you know, she calls him a pendejo and tells him to pull over and that she has to pee. He complies and pulls over so she can pee. And at that point, he decides that that was it, that that was the only option he had left for some reason was to kill her there on the side of the road. Although Ortiz admitted to killing Melissa, he did not describe the act itself. Calderon pressed Ortiz for more. Did he tell her what he was going to do? Did she try to defend herself? But all Ortiz said was, you guys know what happened. Ortiz insisted the killing was impulsive, repeating, I did not plan it, guys. Calderon sensed Ortiz was laying the groundwork for a second-degree murder charge instead of first-degree, which requires premeditation. Ortiz went on to say that he left Melissa's body where she fell. On the ride back, he said he stopped at Pizza Hut before returning home to what he called my lovely wife and kids. (laughs) 
When Ortiz showed up for work the next day at the Border Intel Center, he was asked to run the plate of the Laredo cops spotted near the crime scene. But Ortiz said that was the extent of his involvement in the investigation. By then, he said, the reality of what he'd done was sinking in. He does claim that uh, he did feel kind of bad for what he did because she had kids and, and whatnot and she had a family. But Ortiz said he managed to convince himself there was no reason to feel bad for Melissa. She had chosen to live on the street, he said, rather than care for her children. He starts justifying his actions by basically saying that what he did needed to be done and that, you know, he was doing the right thing. A few days later, Ortiz said he returned to San Bernardo. He was driving around and, I guess, thinking about what happened. He says that at one point, quote unquote, this is where the monster comes out. I was continuing driving on Tunbed. This is where the monster came out. Ortiz said he began questioning why Laredo PD allowed sex workers to openly walk the streets at night. He claimed that he'd previously told the cops to do something about it, but they never did. So Ortiz said he decided to clean up the streets himself. And he begins to tell us how basically he was going to grab the bull by the horns and tackle this problem by himself. And to him, that meant killing people. Ortiz said he picked up Claudine Luera a week or so later. It didn't take long for her to mention the death of Melissa Ramirez, he said. When Ortiz told her he'd heard about it, she proposed that the two of them go check out the murder scene. The conversation came up about Melissa and how it would be interesting to see where Melissa was killed, and he said that he knew the area. But as they drove out Route 83 toward Jeffrey's Road, Ortiz said Claudine had second thoughts. And as we get to 83 for his little fitness, that's when she starts really freaking out. No, dude. No, fuck that. No, dude. No, I don't want to go after all. Ortiz said Claudine was suddenly convinced that he'd killed Melissa. And when they're heading out there, she does start freaking out about, you know, it was you, were you the one who killed her? And he heads toward IH-35. And uh, halfway there, he pulls over, tells her to get out of the car. And that's where he shoots her in the back of the head. It was two days later, while cruising San Bernardo, that Ortiz said he spotted Erica Pena. He repeated the story Erica had told the cops, that they'd bought drugs and gone to his house before driving to the Circle K. But he insisted he had not tried to kill her. She had become hysterical in the truck, he said, so he'd pulled his gun in its holster to calm her down. So they pulled a pistol in the holster, and that she misconstrued that as him having pulled a pistol out of the holster and pointing it at her. After Erica ran away, Ortiz said he expected law enforcement to come after him. So he went home and assembled an arsenal of weapons in preparation for a standoff with the cops. I grabbed my 9 mil, grabbed my 40 cal, started loading them. I grabbed my AR-15, started fucking loading them. He gets his AR-15 ready, his pistols, and some other stuff he had around the house there. And he's waiting and waiting. But investigators were busy interviewing Erica, and they didn't immediately show up. I guess his minutes felt like hours because he says we were taking way too long. So he decided to go back at it and continue what he was doing. Ortiz headed back to San Bernardo. On the way, he stopped to buy some beer before picking up another woman named Giselda Cantu. 
The two of them headed north on I-35 to the same area where he'd killed Claudine. This time, though, he saw cops positioned along his route. He automatically assumed that those cops out there were waiting for him. So he exits and heads north and ends up under one of the underpasses on 35. Ortiz felt that the cops were closing in and that his life was over. He confessed to Giselda that he was the one who had killed Melissa and Claudine and that he planned to kill himself. He then told her to walk away. But Giselda didn't walk away. Instead, she tried to talk him out of committing suicide. Ms. Gantu starts telling him how he shouldn't do that and that, you know, God would forgive him and that he didn't need to do what he was doing. Ortiz said he repeatedly told her to walk away. Walk away, just walk away, okay? Walk away. I'm telling you to walk away. You're not listening to me. And he killed her too, right there under the overpass. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hey friends, this is Jen Hatmaker, your happy host of the For the Love podcast. You may wonder how I got into this podcasting thing. Well, I'm a speaker and an author who has happened to write a few New York Times bestselling books that really resonated with a pretty large community of women. And I thought, how great would it be to drop into the ears of this growing community every week via the magic of podcasting? So that's what we did. And I'm delighted to say we've been able to spark a bit of delight and uncover some hope and talk with great people about the big and small things that we care about and that affect our lives on the daily. So I'm thrilled to invite you to join me every Wednesday for new episodes of the For the Love podcast, where you'll hear the most incredible conversations with some of the best people on this planet. We're going to bring you moments of connection and laughter and hot takes on the things we care about going on in the world. So listen to and follow For the Love with Jen Hatmaker a Four Eyes Media production presented by Odyssey. You can get it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It had taken close to nine hours, but Calderon and Salinas had finally managed to elicit what they believed to be a full confession to three murders. We have Melissa accounted for, Claudine accounted for. We have the person on 35 at the time. Now we know Miss Cantu. And then, out of the blue, he'd tell us about a crime we didn't even know had been committed, and that was Janelle Ortiz. After Ortiz confessed to killing Melissa, Claudine, and Giselda, Calderon and Salinas thought they'd reached the end of the interview. But Ortiz wasn't finished. Prior to killing Giselda, he said, he had picked up a trans sex worker he knew named Janelle Ortiz. Like Claudine and Erica before her, Janelle had quickly surmised that Ortiz was the killer. As they drove north, she openly accused him of killing her friends. Ortiz said Janelle was strong and he worried she would fight back. But when he ordered her out of the truck at gunpoint, Ortiz said she seemed resigned to her fate. According to Ortiz, Janelle told him, do what you have to do. And he told us exactly where we would find Janelle Ortiz. 
as he's telling us about this crime that we didn't know had been committed, deputies, investigators, crime scene investigators, and senior command staff rush out the door and, and go try and locate this crime scene. It was now 12 o'clock in the afternoon. LaGordi Loca had been up all night reporting and live streaming about Ortiz's capture and the discovery of the third victim. Like I said, there is a third victim, 22-mile marker, 35. Not long after Ortiz admitted to killing Janelle, she got a tip that police were en route to a new murder scene where a trans sex worker had been killed. She was soon speeding north on I-35. Apparently they have found another body, fourth body of a female at the 15-mile marker northbound. I am headed that way. LaGordi Loca knew two trans sex workers on San Bernardo but she'd been texting with one of them, Emily Varela, just minutes earlier. She assumed the victim was Janelle. Ligori Loca had known Janelle for years and had posted candid interviews with her on Facebook. She described Janelle as a jokester who protected other women on the street. But she was also an addict who'd endured years of abuse from men who picked her up. As Ligori Loca drove to the crime scene, she was almost overcome with emotion. Please, at this time, just be vigilant. I'm headed that way. Another body has been found at the 15-mile marker on 35. Minutes later, LaGordi Loca spotted a half-dozen patrol units on the shoulder of I-35, where piles of gravel lined the side of the road. Behind them lay Janelle's body, exactly where Ortiz said she'd be. Back in the interrogation room, Ortiz told investigators that, having killed both Giselda and Janelle that night, he'd returned to San Bernardo to continue his murder spree. According to him, he was just going to keep killing people until he was stopped. But when he reached San Bernardo again, he paused to use the restroom at a Stripes convenience store and left his service weapon in the truck. He stopped at the gas station, left his gun in his car instead of taking it down with him. And so, when two state troopers confronted him as he walked out, Ortiz found himself unarmed. He decided to run. If there was one thing he'd learned from the undocumented immigrants he'd spent the last nine years chasing, Ortiz said, it was this. Never stop running and you won't get caught. But trapped in the parking garage, he had nowhere left to run. Calderon and Salinas felt confident that Ortiz had told them everything and that they'd reached the end of the interrogation. He told us things we didn't know he did and put himself at every crime scene with every victim. The investigators thanked Ortiz for his honesty. Ortiz then repeated his earlier request for the photo of him and his family. It's the one in particular, man. It's uh, my kids are sitting on the counter in the kitchen. I got lunch right there. And I told him that I'd try and get him that photo. And before the end of the night, I printed out that photo for him and I gave it to him. That afternoon, Ortiz was charged with four counts of murder and one count of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Officers who executed a search warrant at his house found that he had indeed prepared for a standoff. He had an AR-15 on the kitchen counter. He had another pistol ready to go. And it looked very apparent that what he told us about that expectation of that confrontation with us was accurate and correct. Ortiz's confession marked the end of a 12-day odyssey for Calderon and his criminal investigations unit. Calderon was exhausted, but satisfied by the outcome. The easiest way to describe it is, you know, we felt uh, 
ton of relief that we were able to accomplish what we set out to accomplish. Still, Ortiz's confession was not the end of the story. Left unanswered was what had caused a military veteran, border patrol supervisor, and father of two with no criminal history to commit serial murder. Ortiz's actions were clear. His motives remained a mystery. We knew the who, the what, and the when. The why is what we're still left with trying to figure out. Border Patrol agent Juan David Ortiz remains behind bars tonight. Authorities are calling him a rogue agent and a serial killer. You meet a young man, never been arrested for any violent offense, never had any domestic violence insinuation from spouse or history. He's in a pressure cooker, you know, so he's already a ticking time bomb. I was just so shocked. He was like someone you would trust. It just made me think, man, wow, you just, you never know a person. You can never know a person. If you have questions or information for the Gone South team, please email us at gonesouthpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Gone South is written and narrated by me, Jed Lipinski. Executive produced by Jed Lipinski, Tom Lipinski, and Ken Lee. Our story editor is Tom Lipinski. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Produced by Anna Worrell. Edited, mixed, and mastered by Chris Basil. Original music by Marshall Chadbourne. Production support from Ian Mott, Bill Schultz, Bob Tabador, and Sean Cherry. Special thanks to J.D. Crowley, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, Kurt Courtney, and Hilary Schuff. Gone South is an Odyssey original. Relationships are hard, and that's why I'm here. Hey friend, it's Cammie Crawford. Think of me as your big sister slash audible BFF that you could always trust to give you the real tea. This is my show, Relationship, the advice podcast that covers all relationship topics. Send your story to hello at relationshippod.com or DM me at relationship on IG and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Listen and follow Relationship with Cammie Crawford on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.